picture of George Washington's head is on the front of the dollar bill. That's kind of interesting because Mrs. Washington, his mom, said George really didn't have a head for money. Charles Lindbergh was the first man to fly across the Atlantic Ocean solo. His mom would often say to him, Charles, you can't do anything by yourself. Or what about Neil Armstrong? He was the first man to walk on the moon. Armstrong's mother is quoted as having said, Neil has no more business taking flying lessons than the man in the moon. You know, behind every great man, I suppose, there is either a great mother or a great wife. They have encouraged and helped them. And of course, today is Mother's Day. It's a day when we honor and we celebrate mothers. Uh, mothers have had a huge impact on most of us. And if you think about it, were it not for our mothers, we would not be here. Um... I read something this week that I thought was very appropriate for today. It's titled, When You Thought I Wasn't Looking. It's by Molly Bruce uh, Mulligan. When you thought I wasn't looking, you hung my first painting on the refrigerator. I wanted to paint another. When you thought I wasn't looking, you fed a stray cat. And I thought it was good to be kind to animals. When you thought I wasn't looking, you baked a birthday cake just for me and I knew that little things were special things when you thought I wasn't looking you said a prayer and I believed that there was a God that I could always talk to when you thought I wasn't looking you kissed me good night and I felt loved when you thought I wasn't looking I saw tears come from your eyes and I learned that sometimes things hurt but that's but, but that it's all right to cry when you thought I wasn't looking, you smiled and made me want to look pretty, too. When you thought I wasn't looking, you cared, and I wanted to be everything I could be. When you thought I wasn't looking, I looked and wanted to say thanks for all those things you did when you thought I wasn't looking. That made me think about mothers today. And you know, mothers have had a huge impact on us in our lives. Now I realize that some folks here today may not have had a very good mother. Or that some of you here today, your mother is gone. For some of us, this is a great day of joy. And for others, it is a day of grief. We planned out our sermon series every year in advance and when we plan out those series, we then take the series and put them in the calendar. And for whatever reason, we didn't notice it at the time when we planned the calendar, but after we got to looking this past week, we noticed that the Mother's Day sermon in this series, Overcoming Obstacles, is the message, <coughs> excuse me, Overcoming Grief. And at first I said, I don't think we ought to preach that on Mother's Day, overcoming grief. And then some of the staff said, well, maybe it would be good to preach it on Mother's Day. Because maybe there are people that are grieving, uh, even though it is supposed to be a joyous day. And the staff kind of talked me into it. And so our 
topic today in our overcoming series is going to be grief. Now we've talked about overcoming self-doubt. We've talked about overcoming guilt. And today we're going to address this idea of overcoming grief. You know, there are many things in this world that cause grief. It's not just the death of a loved one that causes grief, but sometimes it may be some other kind of loss that we have. Maybe it's a job we lose, or, or financial trouble we're in, or a friend, or a spouse, or a, a position. Some material thing may cause us grief. I was reading an article in Christianity Today this week, and the title of the article said, When Mother's Day is Hard. And in that article, there's a subtitle there, Motherhood in the Bible Wasn't a Fairy Tale. It says, A quick look at our culture has idealized images of motherhood which are inaccurate. Scripture reveals the same. Ruth was left childless and widowed at a young age. Rachel, Hannah, and Sarah were infertile. Eve and Mary lost sons under terrible circumstances. Two mothers of two kings, both named Ahaziah, encouraged their sons to be wicked and unjust. The prodigal son acted with terrible disrespect toward his father and his mother. Scripture tells stories like those that happen in our churches. Women in diverse life circumstances, sometimes thriving, sometimes coping, sometimes going under. The fairy tale of marriage and motherhood is just that, a fairy tale. Our culture is one of motherhood deferred due to later childbearing or motherhood disrupted by divorce, motherhood lost by infant, child, death, and miscarriage, motherhood unachieved due to infertility and undesired singleness. Of course, our culture also includes wonderful families and strong marriages and happy children. The point is that there is not one size fits all journey of motherhood. We We hurt women in our churches by venerating one path over all the others. So, the article recommends, let's be gentle with each other's this Mother's Day. Let's celebrate with women who have happy families. Let's remember women, men, girls, and boys who are hurt by their mothers. Let's remember the mothers who have lost their children. Let's remember the women who long to be wives and mothers but aren't. Let's come together and let's worship Jesus this Mother's Day. You know, I thought that was good and appropriate based on where we're at in our culture. And you know, some for some, Mother's Day is a day to grieve. For some of you here today, you're grieving for other reasons. And I raise the question today, is it all right for God's people to grieve? Are we just supposed to accept loss as natural occurrence of life, part of God's plan, and move on? There's an account in the Bible where there was a lot of grieving going on. Let's learn from Jesus today. Turn with me to John chapter 11, if you have your Bible. 
or if you have it on an electronic source. John, of course, is one of Jesus' apostles. He was the author of, uh, of this gospel. He's one of Jesus' closest companions, and certainly Jesus was a witness of the events that we're going to talk about today. Now, we pretty much need to cover the whole chapter 11 of John. We're not going to read it all, but Jesus was uh, friends with someone named Lazarus. He had a sister, Martha and Mary. They lived in a town called Bethany. It was about two miles from Jerusalem. He received word that Lazarus was sick. In chapter 4, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's Son may gl be glorified through it. And the text says that Jesus was close to Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And, but he was a couple of days away from where they lived. And it says he stayed where he was for two more days. Eventually, Jesus said, let's go back to Judea. So he stayed two days where he was, and then it was a two-day travel to get there. So about four days had passed. Of course, when Jesus said, let's go back to Judea, his apostles tried to discourage him because the people there, the Jewish leaders, wanted to put him to death. But Jesus said, we're going anyway. And then Jesus informed his apostles without knowing, just, or, or with just knowing, without anybody coming to tell him that Lazarus had died. When Jesus got into town, the, the crowds heard, and Martha came out to greet Jesus. Mary did not at first. And Martha said to Jesus, this is real encouraging, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Criticism. She was criticizing Jesus. She was, in essence, blaming Jesus. But Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, look, I, I know at the, the last day, at the resurrection, he believes in God. He will be raised. But Jesus goes on to explain to Martha that Lazarus would live again. Yes, Lord, she said. I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come to save the world. But she had these preconceived notions about that Messiah. Then she left Jesus without waiting on further explanation, and she went and got her sister Mary. And Mary came to Jesus, and what does she do? The same thing her sister Martha did. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Again, Blame. I want you to pick up here at verse 32, and let's read this together. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Then Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, and was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Obviously, Mary was grieving, along with Martha and many other people who were there to comfort them. And the first thing I want us to think about today is that grief 
is a natural emotion when a tra traumatic event happens. You know, you might be surprised to know that the word grief or grieve or grieving or grieved is used 79 times in the Bible. Many people in the Bible grieved. The Bible says Isaac and Rebekah grieved when Esau, their son, married foreign women. Hannah grieved when she couldn't bear a child. Job grieved at the loss of his family, his property, his livestock, and because his health was bad. King David grieved because his enemies sought to destroy him. The book of Proverbs suggests that parents will grieve when they have a foolish or a troubled child. Ecclesiastes says, living, working, and toiling can bring grief. Jesus once said, bad news can bring grief. But he ended that statement by saying, your grief will turn to joy. So grief is something that we will all, at one time or another, experience in this life. God has given us emotions, and these emotions will help us deal with the stresses of life. Now, there's a lot of uh, talk about emotions in our world today. Some psychologists say there are six basic emotions. Some say seven, some say eight. Happiness, sadness, fear, disgust, anger, and surprise are pretty much uh, named as the basic emotions. But the University of Southern California, uh, at University of California at Berkeley, has done research on emotions. And they say in addition to the basic emotions, there are these discrete emotions. They name several others, admiration or adoration, uh, appreciation, amusement, anxiety, awe, awkwardness, boredom, craving, uh, empathy, excitement, interest, joy, nostalgia, romance, satisfaction, surprise, relief, are all named as emotions that people may have. And in some cases, those are a subset of the basic emotions. But people experience emotional grief. You know, we like to, we like to show how we're feeling today. We're a graphic society. We text people on a cell phone, and often you will see uh, one of the emojis that is put up. I believe we have uh, different pictures here. One showing joy. One maybe showing uh, some grief there. And, uh, uh, you know, the smiley face says, I'm happy. But sometimes we put a frowny face up and it says, I'm not happy. It may have a tear coming out of one eye. We like to let people how we know. There's no denying that we all experience grief. And grief is a form of sadness that we have. Especially uh, if we deal with people in relationships, if we deal with loss, if we deal with death, we're going to have grief. It's wired into us. Scientists and psychologists agree that it affects us tremendously. Back in 1969, a lady named Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote a groundbreaking book called On Death and Dying, in which she talked about the grief process. And she came up with this process that most people go through when they grieve. Denial, 
anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Uh, take the first letter of those, and it's come to be known as DABDA. Uh, her work was groundbreaking at the time. And it helped people realize that grief is normal. It's a process that we all go through from time to time, especially at the loss of a loved one. It helped reduce the strict stigma with grieving during that time and, and since that time. But Kubler-Ross taught in her book that it was a linear process. And over time, people come to realize maybe they don't always go through the grieving process in that order. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And maybe there are a few more stages to that grief. To that grief. Eventually, Kubler-Ross recognized that people sometimes spend a longer period of time in one uh, area of that grieving process. And she added two more uh, sections to it. Uh, first, she added shock, then denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and then testing, and then acceptance. Shock describes the initial response of emotional paralysis and numbness that we go through. And testing is a stage that involves trying new ways of coping with the loss and rebuilding life after the loss. Nonetheless, there's a process that we go through when we grieve. I think God expects us to grieve the loss. Because God gives us words of comfort. You can read through the Psalms and often there are comforting words for people who have been grieving. If you look in 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Verse 3 and 4 says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So sometimes when we grieve, God comforts us, and He wants us to comfort others who are grieving with the same comfort we have received from Him. So grief is a natural emotion when a traumatic event happens. Look with me now at verse 34 back in John 11. Where have you laid him? Jesus asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, Jesus wept. And when Jesus said, when, Je when the Jews said, see how he loved him. Verse 35 there, Jesus wept, is known as the shortest verse in the Bible. But it speaks volumes. You see, Jesus grieved at the death of Lazarus. Jesus was saddened by the loss of Lazarus. He must have been a close friend of Jesus. And the people recognized Jesus' grief as a sign of the closeness that he had. We don't really know much about Lazarus. Uh, he was the brother of Mary and Martha. He was, uh, uh, in chapter 12, we read that Jesus went to his house after Lazarus was raised from the dead and had dinner with Mary and Martha there and Lazarus and, and taught a crowd of people. Perhaps Jesus was grieving because of his closeness to Lazarus, but also maybe he was grieving because... He saw a lack of faith 
in the people there. Mary and Martha and many others who had come. You know, Jesus grieved another time. In Luke chapter 19, Luke tells us that as he approached Jerusalem, verse 41, he saw the city, he wept over it. And Jesus goes on to explain to the people because of a lack of faith, their city is going to be destroyed. And he was grieving over the fact that Jerusalem would be destroyed. In AD 70, the Romans did destroy Jerusalem and the temple. And God apparently allowed that to happen because of their lack of faith. Their grief may have been a little different if they had paid more attention to Jesus teaching along the way. It's amazing how God's people sometimes slip in their faith a little bit. You read through the Bible, what God has done, Genesis 18, 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. It's the story of Abraham and Sarah having a son. Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90 years old and God caused that to happen. In Jeremiah 32, 17, it says, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. So if nothing is too hard from God, He can help us with our grief. Jeremiah 32, 27, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me, he says. You know, these folks that were there around Jesus knew the power of God. And Jesus had just told Martha, Lazarus will live again. She, of course, came to Jesus with these preconceived notions. Yeah, I know he's going to live again at the resurrection. She never thought about the fact that Jesus might raise him from the dead. She never thought about what Jesus could do or what he would do. All she has thought about is that he didn't do what she expected that he would do at the time. But look at John eleven forty. Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? What I want you to think about thirdly is that Jesus' teaching shows there is hope beyond the sorrow. There can always be hope. Even when things don't go the way we think they ought to go. It helps a whole lot if we pay attention to Jesus. It helps a whole lot if we know who Jesus is. It helps a whole lot if we understand Jesus' teaching. Jesus had told his disciples when this whole thing started, if you believe, you'll see the glory of God. And Jesus told Martha in chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? You know, here's the hope. Live even though we die. That's a promise of Jesus. You know, we have to understand that we are two-part beings. We have this spirit that inhabits our body that gives us life. 
The spirit gives life. The body is flesh. And when we die in this earthly life, the body goes into a grave or is cremated. It deteriorates. But the spirit of the believer, it goes to be in the presence of God. It goes to be with the Lord. And the scripture promises us that one day, there's going to be a bodily resurrection. Now those bodies will be different, the Bible says. They will be spiritual bodies. But they're coming back to life. To be re-inhabited by that spirit. And dwell in a new heaven and a new earth. So when we die this earthly life, it's not the end. It's the beginning of something new. I've told you before about the Easter choir that sang of the resurrection. And the men's part was, or the women's part was, we'll have new bodies. The men's part was, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Look at what Jesus does. Verse 43. They rolled the stone away. Despite the fact that some people said, it's going to stink. He'd been in there four days. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. And what did Lazarus do? Came out, fighting off all the grave clothes. He stepped out of the grave. And people were amazed. Back in verse 4, Jesus explained, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. God had a purpose for Lazarus' death. I would venture to say, God may have a purpose for every death. But this particular death was to bring glory to God, because Jesus would bring Lazarus back to die, back to life. Glory means to magnify to show the greatness of something when we glorify something we show how great it is and God was revealing his glory to the people by raising Lazarus back to life there's no promise there that God can raise every person that goes into the grave four days after their death This one particular case was to verify who Jesus was. That He was the Son of God. And here's our connection. That raising Lazarus from the dead confirms that Jesus is the one we must trust to overcome grief. You see, in this life here on this earth, there's going to be good times. There's going to be rejoicing. But there's going to be trouble. And there's going to be strife. And there's going to be death. And there's going to be loss. And there's going to be sorrow. And there's going to be grief. But that's where we must hold on to Jesus. Jesus' brother James, in his letter he wrote, in chapter 4 verse 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
Come near to God and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. You see, there are going to be times of grieving in this life. But if we come humbly before the Lord and put our faith and trust in Him, He will lift us up. Psalm 35 says, Weeping may stay for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning when we trust the Lord. Seems that in South Carolina there was a funeral home that was planning to open a coffee house within the funeral home. They were going to call it maybe the coffee corner. It was stocked with Starbucks coffee and had Wi-Fi and a fireplace and a television. The funeral home owner said that the hope was that the mourners will get their minds off of what's going on, dealing with their grief. A little place there in the funeral home just to pull aside and have a cup of coffee. Local magazine found out about this and said, why don't we run a contest to name the, uh, the coffee house? And names were submitted. Honorable mentions were the Grim Roaster. You can't take it with you. The Last Cup. I thought that one was pretty good. Decoffinated. Purgatory. Wake up and smell the coffee. Being nice knowing you. See you latte. Here were the top winners. Third place. Latte for your own funeral. Second place. Still above grounds cafe. And third place. Time to meet your mocha. At any rate, I think that shows that all of us Look for ways to deal with grief. Funeral directors certainly recognize that people need a way to deal with grief. The reality is, grievous events are going to happen in this life. But if we truly trust Jesus, He will comfort us. He will guide us through. As He said back in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And he asked a question. Do you believe this? And if you do, Jesus can help you overcome your grief. It doesn't say don't grieve. It just says to don't get stuck in grief because we can know that we're all one day going to a place where Jesus promises no more tears and no more death and no more mourning and no more crying and no more pain let's pray God uh, grief is sometimes hard for various reasons why we grieve but Father we we know that uh, we're going to sometimes face those times. But Lord, by hanging on to you in faith, you don't want us 
to not grieve, but you want to go with us through our grief. And you want to help us to overcome our grief so that it does not become debilitating to our lives. We thank you today for Jesus. We know that Jesus even grieved the loss of his loved ones. The Lord, he is there for us in our time of grief to help us overcome. In his name, we pray and praise today. Amen.